super, super important because as many people may be able to deny Scripture or Jesus, they can't deny what Jesus has done in us. And so we have uh, Josh here with us today. He, uh, man, he, he's an awesome guy. He serves with us at Miracle Hill in uh, different ways, mainly on Thursdays with our coffee time. Um, he just does a good job and has a, has a great story. So we want to um, just interview him today and hear from him and what God has done in his life. And so the first one is super deep and, uh, man, it might, it might test you a little bit, but what's your favorite food and hobby that you would like to share so people get to know you a little bit more? I made some notes because um, I saw Morgan Wallen read some notes on a, an award acceptance, and I thought that was a good idea. And because I get a little long-winded sometimes. My, my last time they asked me to come up on stage was a, a eulogy at a Catholic church, and they told me the same thing Zach did, which was, you have five minutes. And so I think I took 15, and I was reprimanded by my father-in-law, who's a devout Catholic. And, so anyway, I made notes. Um, but my favorite foods are kind of embarrassing. I put a bunch of them. I have, uh, I have uh, a handful of foods that I think I could eat every day and that I love, and those are uh, pizza, popcorn, ice cream. So, somebody told me, Josh, that's a kid's birthday party. That's true. The, the other ones are uh, bananas and peanut butter, and I think I could survive on those and eat them every day, all of them. So those are my favorite foods, kid's birthday party. And what, what about a hobby? I mean, that sounds like a hobby, eating, eating all that good stuff. I'm a, my hobbies are uh, sports, and I'm a, I'm a professional talker, so I love to talk to people. Awesome. Well, how would you describe uh, your life become, before coming to, to trust and, and, and follow Jesus, if you want to share that with our families? This was, I, I have the first part of that spiel memorized. This was really what I needed to write down. Um, my life before coming to trust in and follow Jesus, um, I was an ambitious, hyperactive hustler, a hyper-competitive, loyal workaholic. I was a people-loving, people-pleasing, customer service superstar. I was a self-reliant, success-driven, self-centered salesperson who loved racing. <clears throat> I was a million miles an hour in a million different directions. There was never a dull moment, and I never wanted one. It was exhilarating. I was, ex I was successful. I was the best at the things I did. But I was lost and trapped inside of my own messed up head. Uh, and at night, and when I was alone, I was stressed, confused, restless, depressed, never enough. I was always busy, self-medicated, self-centered, insecure, and no matter what I did, no matter how good I did at any of those things that I was filling myself up with, um, it was never enough, and I was always left empty, and so I was really good at chasing and filling myself up with all those things a lot of the time, and that, that was how I kept myself full, I thought. Um, I was guilty, and I was working at Josh's pace. Uh, which was filled with extreme highs and lows. It was a sprint with no finish line in sight. And ultimately, and, and this was over a period of many years, I couldn't, I realized I couldn't do it anymore. And, um, and I begged God to take over my life and to um, use me for his glory. And um, I promised that if he would, that I would um, accept whatever his will was for me, no matter how bad 
how good it was. Um, and that would, and then that was probably, I don't know, that was about 12, 13 years ago. That was before. That's awesome, man. Well, we, we always know as, as followers of Jesus, there's, there's a before we, before we meet Jesus, when we meet Jesus, and what Jesus has done in our life since. And so when Jesus came into your life and changed you, gave you a new purpose and direction in, in life that would glorify him, what's an example of that maybe inside of your family and work and even how you're now striving to, to serve in the local church and stuff? I, had, I got a little help this morning from a kid on this one. I did have, I had nothing written down for the response because I think, I thought it was easy, but I did get some notes down here too. Um, now, my, you know, um, that, again, it was, a, it was a lot of work in progress, and I think I still am a huge work in progress. Um, but my life is a lot different. Um, I am still all of those things that I was before, the good and the bad and the ugly. I still am ambitious, driven, passionate. I love people. I still make a lot of bad choices, and uh, I do a, a lot of the same things that I did. I've changed my behavior a good bit. Uh, uh, now I learn to catch myself when I'm in Josh's pace every day, and I still have the feeling like at the end of every minute or an hour, no matter what I've done, that it's not enough, and I'm learning to catch myself there and to say, hey, wait a minute, Josh. Uh, remember who your partner is here. Remember who your trust is in, and um, that's a daily exercise for me, but when I catch myself and I remember that, then I find freedom, um, and uh, I know that I'm part of God's plan and that his plan for me is not wrong. His plan is right, even when it doesn't look the way that I think right should look, which happens all the time for me. I don't know about you all, but that's pretty regular. Um, I have structure, routine, and people in my life who I know will keep me focused on my purpose and the priorities God gives me for my life in the Bible. Uh, my purpose, and I try to share this every day. I, I, uh, this was made real clear to me when I wrote a eulogy last year that I told you all about in the Catholic Church, and I had to answer that question, what was the purpose of an important per person in my life? What was his person, purpose in life? So my purpose in life is to serve the king. And um, I don't want people to be confused about what my purpose is anymore. And so I tell people, I tell people that every day, and it's always a little weird, but um, I'm pretty, I'm a weird dude. Like I, I was comfortable doing all types of other weird stuff in my life before, but not sharing that. And so now um, where I step out of my comfort zone is I share that with people every day. Um, my priorities are, um, my priorities are my relationship with God, my wife. That's a tough one. That means, like all the first, in the first question, all those things are about work. That means now when my wife texts me or asks me a question in the middle of the day that I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I don't know what she's talking about. That means that I have to say, wait a second, Josh, you're off. You're wrong. It's her. She's, she's the top of your list, not your work. And it's, if it's important to her, I need to stop what I'm doing at work, and I need to try my best to understand that that's important and, and treat my wife that way. So I'm working on that still. Um, uh, my priorities, though, are uh, my relationship with God, my wife, my family. For me, that means stepping away from work and taking time with my family or trying to not, you know, 
and not run away from the inefficiencies of family and trying to be a spiritual leader in my house. Um, and then being a provider is down there on the bottom of the list. And um, I always thought that if I, if I trusted God and I stepped out on a limb and I, um, and I trusted his plan, and as an example, I stopped working on my never-ending, always-growing task list to pay attention to what my wife's most important thing was, I thought God would crush my business and he wouldn't allow me to provide. And I, he hasn't done that for me. Um, instead, he has blessed my life in all types of ways. And, um, and I found freedom in, in his strength. And, um, and now um, I know when I'm, when I'm alone, the times that were the worst for me, which I don't know, about, you know, we're always alone at any minute. When I'm alone, I choose to focus on God and I choose to remember that I, he is my partner and that he has me right where he wants me and to not assume that I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time or that I haven't gotten enough done at the end of an hour or a day or that the person in front of me that I'm talking to isn't there. I choose to assume that God put me right where he wanted me. The person in front of me is who I'm supposed to be with and I drop the other things. And that's, just, that's what I consider a faith-based risk, a spiritual risk that I uh, choose to take every day. Um, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, the story. So now, here's an example of something that happens in my life that I might have handled differently. Now I do things like have two teenage boys who are basically Beavis and Butthead. Or something like that. Oh, oh, oh. I made the mistake of asking them, one of them what their favorite body part was. Their favorite, I said, what's your favorite thing about yourself? That's all I was asking. I think that's a good question. What do you love about yourself? Um, those are, if you can answer that, those are God's talents that he's giving you maybe. And, and I asked the kid that, the 14 year old, oh, oh, oh. and I, I realized how dumb of a question that was. Uh, but, but the same kid, I came and I'm holding a cup of coffee this morning. And I walk back here, and, and I go to sit down after splitting my boys up because they ain't right. And, and uh, one of my kids decides he would, uh, it was, that it would be a good idea to pull the chair out from under me. I mean, like just a minute ago in church, here we go. Pulls it out. I'm holding coffee. And, <clears throat> and so I flop down. And in the past, I might have thought to myself a lot of things, and I might have been real angry. In this particular situation, I did something different than my instinct, which would be to jump up and swat him. I think maybe God made that happen here for a good reason. Uh, but, but I sat there for a minute, and I, I just kind of sat there, and I was calm about it. And, you know, that's kind of a humiliating, embarrassing situation. But I was, for some reason, calm, and uh, I wasn't angry with him. And I did think, why would you do something like that? That's pretty dang dumb. You're going to mess me up like that. Why would you do it? But I didn't. I, I just sat there, and I think maybe... God's plan for what my kid might, what he might do with my kid's heart uh, is probably better than what I might have done with it. And so that's a good example of, of how that, that works. And I find that in my day now, when I remember to focus on God and I, always, and I go back there quickly out of habit, you know, when I canceled out bad habits and I started trying to get into good habits, that it's a lot easier for me to turn to God. And I think I handle these situations a lot better. I still screw them up all the time, but I, I would say now I'm free so, and through the grace of God. Awesome. Well, lastly, Josh, how can we be praying for, for you and your family as you continue to, to work and serve the King in different areas of your life? 
Uh, I think if you would pray that I would, um, that I would continue, for me, that I would continue to remain focused and that I would continue to ask, um, focused on my purpose, and that I would continue to remember to look um, for God's plan in my life before I think about, my, focus on my own plan and that he would use me for his good and uh, for my, and that specifically that um, he would continue to develop me as a, into uh, a spiritual leader for my family. And that, um, and also if you would pray for the health of my family. Um, we're three out of six of us here, and my wife took my two little people to, to the doctor this morning. Seems like we've been sick all year. I guess, I mean, I'll probably know, but like that too. But two, two kids with strep. So if you'd pray for the health of our family, mental and physical. Well, thank you, Josh, again. Um, he does, a, just again, a great job of serving a, with us on Coffee Time on Thursday. And speaking of that, we have three cards back there for different areas of our city that we serve. Um, there's an encouragement note already written in there. If you guys would like to, on your way passing out on the round table, just go ahead and sign those because um, the teachers and people at Miracle Hill really love the encouragement as uh, they're doing a lot of good stuff in our city. But I'm going to pray for Josh, his family, and um, as we're getting ready to jump into God's Word. Let's pray. God, we just uh, we love you, and we thank you for um, everything you do in our in our hearts, God. The, the stories that you give us that don't revolve around us, but um, they they revolve around you, God, and they're they're centered in you and your Son Jesus. And so, Lord, just uh, thankful for everything you have done in Josh's life um, to change his story, um, to make him uh, so, someone who just loves you and loves others well, Lord, and that um, you would continue to be with him as he serves you and his family, serves you in his work, and God serves you. Here in the local church, as we seek to uh, just love those who are close to close to us and far from you, and so Lord, pray for him in that, and uh, also for his family as they're dealing with strep and trying to get better. Lord, that you would just be be in their healing and um, make them well. Lord, uh, be with us, bless our hearts with your word. Be with Matthew as he preaches your word, and um, God, just get us ready to hear from you in your name. Amen. Amen. I love third Sundays. Um, this is not a self-help kind of an idea, but and we're better because of our stories, like we really are. Like I believe that God birthed us into a community, and he intends for us to think about where each, everybody's come from, where God's brought us from, where he's bringing us to. Uh, the gospel rests in that story, so, man, it's great for sharing. Josh, man, we appreciate you, dude, and um, I'll probably make mention of you a couple times today, so don't feel awkward. It's okay. I don't think you mind talking about yourself, so we don't have a problem talking about you either. So uh, we're back in Mark today, and I know I'm looking at the clock, and I, I see where we are. Um, but I'm going to do my best to get through uh, what we have today. And uh, if for some reason you have a pressing lunch appointment, um, you can text them now and tell them you won't make it. Uh, but anyway, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6 with us. Uh, believe it or not, we're still in our Mark series, and we're going to be there until we're not. And so whenever that is, we're great. Um, and just to remind you, next Sunday will be our last Sunday here in uh, Old Cigar. Almost said spill the beans. That was, that was one generation ago. We're here. This will be it. And we're going to move right across the tracks to Zen starting on April 3rd. So make sure you're there. We'll have breakfast. We'll have all kind of fun. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll be over there with us. Um, let me pray and just kind of bring my brain back to, to where it needs to be. And we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it's, it's more than valuable. Uh, it's priceless. And uh, we need it so that we can know you, so that we can know who we are, uh, so that we can know where you're bringing us from, where you're bringing us to. Um, and God, all the in-between. God, I pray that we look at it well this morning in a way that honors you, uh, in a way that uh, brings about change through the hearing of your word that grows faith and allows your grace to act. Uh, thank you so much for the example. Uh, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
We're in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 7. Uh, last week, we, we kind of talked about this idea of Jesus took his disciples kind of back home with him, not necessarily for a home visit, but to do what he does, to go and to teach, to share truth, and it was difficult. Like, it was not as easy as a lot of things were, and we talked about that was just, you know, it was more of a caution sign versus a stop sign. It was a warning when we're going back home to family to reach them with truth and the gospel. Man, there's a realization. It's hard, but it's necessary. But also, it's important to note that his disciples were with him, and he, was, he had them in tow. They were watching. They were learning. Uh, they were gaining experience and hopefully things that would translate uh, to the way that they did mission, the way that they did ministry. Uh, today, uh, we kind of start a new section in the book of Mark. Uh, up until now, we've had like the affirming of who Jesus was when he came on the scene. We saw it from several different sources, both natural, supernatural. In Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus like pronounce why he's here. He's like, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, so turn from your ways, turn towards God. And then we see just the calling, the, the bringing out of the disciples. You know, from that text that we look at early on is our place that we get uh, a working definition of what it means to be a disciple. When he looked at the disciples and about four of them, he said, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. From that, uh, like we talked about a few weeks ago, we define a disciple as someone that is following Jesus, someone that's on mission with Jesus, uh, someone that's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. And that's incredibly pertinent for where we look and where we are today. Starting in verse 7, we're going to read through 13, and, uh, and then we're going to uh, sit, sit here a little while and talk about it. So, starting in verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if in any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. And so this is kind of a pivotal text for us because what it does is it begins to, uh, begins to transition the disciples from just following and learning to actually a new phase. And, and from this, we're going to get a, a beautiful picture of what the discipleship journey looks like for us. That's one thing that's going to occur today. But to be honest, like it's a place that very often in the church we just we kind of overlook and we think that it's not quite pertinent. We do it in every other aspect of our life, but for some reason within the discipleship structure of most churches, the existing American church, it's just things stop before we get here. And so for us as a church that, man, we rely on like relational exchange, relational tethers, like relational discipleship, this is vital for us to hear today. Like this is huge uh, because we've said it before, we'll state it as frequently as we can as a mission like this, what we do here, this is great, but this is not who we are. This is not why we exist. We gather as a result of who we are, uh, not our identity. We get to do this. We get to proclaim Christ together. We get to rally around the word together, and then we get to be sent out together as a family on mission in this city that needs to hear the redeeming promise and hope of Jesus and Jesus only. And so this is great, but this is not our identity. Our identity needs to rally around this idea that we have been called out from where we are. We have been called into a, a saving relationship with Jesus, not so that we can make ourselves better, but so that his kingdom may grow, so that we may do exactly what he told us to do in the Great Commission, which we will mention probably every Sunday. Uh, therefore, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and don't worry, I'll be with you through it all. Like, we must identify with that. That must be who we are, not a people who just gather and sit and sing and listen. 
We're disciples who are to make disciples. And so in this place today, just kind of going through, uh, talking about what's going on, this was the first time that the disciples had transitioned from A, being called to follow. They did that. They left their boats. They left their nets. They left their tax booths. They left all of that, and they began to follow Jesus. In order to follow, they had to leave. And in doing that, they also began to listen. Now, they had a privilege uh, to actually follow right behind Jesus, to physically follow him, but also from a learning standpoint. Disciple literally means a learner. And so they got to listen. They got to watch. They got to perceive. They got to observe Jesus. And in doing so, they learned. And not only did they learn by observing and watching, but they got to learn by listening because he actually intentionally invested in them with words. Believe it or not, if we're going to share truth, it must be verbal, it must be linguistic, and he did that with his disciples. And then through that process, they began to be changed. They began to be transformed because the word is useless if it doesn't actually take root. God does something. Faith comes through hearing, Romans 10, and it actually began to take root and transform them, make them into something they were not. What they were being made into was those fishers of men the same thing that we're called to be. And in this particular text, the shift occurs. So they weren't just listeners. They weren't just followers. Now Jesus was about to model something that we must take hold of. He was about to release. He was about to release. But it would not have been possible without the following, without the listening, without the learning, without the changing. But Jesus is modeling something very vital, and it's the release. And so he sends them out like a lot of people would have done, and not just in Christianity, not just in this new way that was occurring. The cynics would have done it in one day too, but they would have sent out two by two people that would have been emissaries of whatever they were taking from town to town. And so he tells them, he's like, look, I'm going to send you out two by two pairs. The testimony of two is better than one. So if you go into a town and you're going to speak truth, it's better that two say it instead of one. Because if one says it, they can be lying. But if two say it and they agree, man, we're more out to believe. So from a practical standpoint... It was just good. There was accountability there, and there was also uh, there was multiple voices that were speaking into this idea of truth. So he sends them out two by two. And then he does something very important that we have to take note of in just a minute. He gave them authority. Understanding that he's sending them out as emissaries, but he's not just sending them out with pamphlets. He's not just sending them out with informational sheets. No, he's sending them out to go as emissaries of him, but he's also taking his authority that's been granted to him, and he's placing it upon them. He's like, this is mine to give to you, so I'm sending you out two by two with authority. In this particular instance, he's giving them authority over unclean spirits. Now, in the time that they had followed Jesus, they had watched him teach, they had watched him heal, they had watched him exercise demons, they had watched him do all of this, they had watched him respond to adversity, they had watched him go without, they had watched him do all of these things, and now he's saying, I want you to go and do the same, and it's by my authority that I'm sending you. So they go out two by two, and, and then he charges them. He says, uh, take nothing for your journey. Don't take anything. Now, in the other Gospels, when we see in the other synoptics of Matthew and Luke, we see slightly different verbiage. And to be honest, it could be just, man, it could be scribal error. It could be differing definitions. But either way, it's not, a, it's not something that's going to affect the final product. It's just like one says to take a staff. The other says don't take an extra staff. Could be language. But either way, still the same idea. I'm sending you out with my authority two by two to go to teach, go to heal, go to exercise demons. Uh, and in doing so, I want you to understand you don't need to take anything with you. Just go. Don't take an extra robe because you're not going to sleep outdoors. Just take the one that you're wearing. Don't take extra money because you're not going to have to buy anything. Uh, people are going to take care of you. Don't take a bedroll. Don't take any of that stuff. Take one pair of shoes, and you're going to have a place wherever you go. You're going to find a home. They're going to accept you. You're going to stay in that home until you leave. You're not going to try to upgrade. In one, other, one of the other synoptics, it was like, look, when you find a home, stay there. Don't look for another one. So if you land at the Hampton Inn... 
you know, don't wait for somebody from the embassy suites to come and call you. That doesn't look good. It's not a good look. So look, Hampton Inn, if, that's, if it's Red Roof, stay at Red Roof. But either way, when you go to a town and they accept you with grace and the door opens, you walk in. You thank them. You stay there until it's time to leave. And then he also tells them a little bit more, uh, which could be a bit confusing. He says, whenever you're in our house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, that sounds harsh. But basically, these are Jews going to the Jews, and they're taking the very simple message that Jesus entered onto the scene with, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They're going into Jewish people and saying, look, the kingdom of God, it is about to fall, and what you need to do right now, it's simple, it's clear. You turn from where you are, turn to God's way, the thing that he wants, and he said, look, if you go into a town and they don't want to do it, you dust off your hands, symbolically to say, look, I have told you what you need to hear. There may be a chance that you'll never hear it again, so listen. And so this is not denying grace to people, but it's also talking about the reality that we are not promised tomorrow. And this message of hope that we hear, you need to listen to it. Because if you don't, there's a chance that you won't get another shot. So he's like, when you leave as a symbol against them that could lead to their repentance, you dust off your hands and say, hey, I've told you what I need to tell you. I'm sorry you didn't listen, but I got to go. And so they leave. But then after that, it says, so they, a summary of what they did, they went out, they proclaimed with words, not just with actions, that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, anointed many with oil who were sick, and they healed them. So they went, and they did the mission. The beautiful thing is that these disciples, these unlearned, untrained men, these blue-collar, for the most part, or tax collector-type people, they went out and did exactly what Jesus had been doing. And like, to, to be honest, like, however long they had followed Jesus, it, it, in our minds, it should not have been possibly long enough for them to be able to accomplish the things that they were accomplishing. It should not have happened. This was Jesus, God with skin on, walking around when he heals somebody, as miraculous as it is, like he's deity. He should be able to do that, right? And when he speaks with authority and people are like, wow, what authority is this? He hasn't been to rabbi school. He hasn't done any of this stuff. How can he speak like he owns it? Like when he does it, in retrospect, we can look back and say, yeah, he should be able to do this. He cast out demons. We talked about Legion a few weeks ago, which is a, man, it's a sticky passage. I mean, like a whole legion of demons in a guy. And he's like, look, you want to go? You go. He had authority over that. But this is Jesus. So when we hear of that, we're like, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus. It's the Son of God. God with skin on. He can do that. But in this place, two by two, he sends out untrained, unlearned men, and they do the same thing. It's amazing. The switch that occurs for us, the thing that we, we need to start uh, looking at here is this process of discipleship will be our first thing that, that I want us to look at. The first is this. Uh, in this place, what we are seeing Jesus do for the first time in, in kind of the, the summary of his life, this Jesus that we need with his disciples, is uh, he teaches this vital lesson on discipleship, which is uh, he is beginning to replicate himself in these men. Not just to replicate his heart, but also to replicate the mission that he has been out and doing. Now, for us, like, this is normal. This is SOP for us, standard operating procedure in everything that we do in life. Everything that we do, from raising children to starting a new job, this is the way that we function, right? We, we watch, we learn, we do, and then we're evaluated on how we do. And if we do it wrong, we get told, and then we get another chance. Like, this is how we train. This is how we learn. Like from kids, like man, if you've got kids and you remember, like if your kids are at shoe tying age now, like you remember how many times did you teach them to tie their shoes? 
Like maybe you're doing that now. Gunther's, I don't know if y'all are doing that now, but I will, I will pray for you because it is frustrating as mess to teach your kids how to tie their shoes. But the way you do it is like, hey, watch. You see? And then you try to get them to do it over and over. We do this in every aspect of our life. When we get a new job, the boss does the same thing. He's like, look, uh, I don't want you to jump in and go ahead and, and do whatever your job. You're not going to do an appendectomy on day one, okay? Um, you're not going to do that day one. You're going to watch me do that first. And then, after several times of watching me, learning me, learning the ideas behind it, then I'll hand you the scalpel and you make the cut. You fish it out. You sew him up. You do all of that kind of stuff. But they don't do that day one. Every job is watch, learn, now I'm going to release you to do, and I'm going to evaluate how you do it. Man, everything that we do. Everything. Abram, I guarantee you don't bring somebody into the shop on day one say, make a latte. Good luck. Because nobody would come back. Because a latte needs to be perfect. Every time. Every time, and if not, I will never come back. There's no grace when it comes to lattes. They've got to be great. Um, but either way, it is watch me, listen to me, learn from me. Now I'm going to let you do it, and I'm going to tell you how you do. But for some reason in the church, there's like this, there's this imaginary brick wall that we believe, you know, there's no reason for us to release people. You just come, you listen, you learn, everything's going to be fine. And we miss the release. We miss the, hey, you've been watching me for a while. You've been listening me, to me for a while. Now it's your turn. We miss that. But this is, man, this is how discipleship most beautifully and perfectly, uh, even at our best, this is how it occurs, is come listen, come follow, come pay attention, and now when it's time, do. A couple passages later, we're going to look at in two weeks, in which Jesus and the disciples, they were about to get together, and they were going to kind of do a debrief, which is a popular term in leadership circles. We always need to debrief, but either way, that's what they were going to do. They were going to talk about the things that they had seen, the things that they had done, the things that they had heard, and how it went. Um, they get interrupted, which is a beautiful example, but either way, like it's just, look, follow me, watch me, learn from me, but at some point, I need to release you to do. Like in our life, um, I think the way that this plays out best, like in the role of someone who is seeking to follow Jesus, and, and Josh, you brought up a lot of beautiful points, like starting at the most relational, like the way this can play itself out for us, like maybe you're a young married couple, you're a young married couple, and probably one of the best ways for you to figure out what marriage looks like is not to just go into it blindly, but is to find another couple who loves Jesus, who's trying to honor God with their marriage, and saying, hey, um, would you kind of adopt us, because we're morons. We don't know how to honor Jesus with our marriage. We have no idea how to do that. But it looks like, at least from the outside, you guys have a hint. Would, would you, would you kind of tell us and show us and talk to us about what that looks like? My wife and I, we had a great couple uh, in Columbia that probably year two of our marriage. We needed it year one. We didn't find it. But in year two, we had a couple that they were in their 50s. They had been married a while. They had had ups. They had had downs. Uh, but they had had Jesus throughout all of it. And they spoke so much truth into our marriage. And it was so vital. Maybe within the scope of discipleship, if we want to honor God with the way that we are married, men, if you want to figure out what it looks like to love your wife as Christ, as Christ loved the church, man, you need to ask another dude that's been married. Don't ask an unmarried guy, and don't go read a book by somebody who you don't know. Ask somebody that we know. We have great people sitting here that follow Jesus in their marriages and go to them say, look, man, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, and even a couple other things. Have you ever struggled with those? If you have, could you, could you help? And while you may not get to go and move in with them and watch their marriage, you can metaphorically like follow them, listen to them, learn from their mistakes. And then they're going to say, what, what worked for me is what God did here. Uh, maybe you should go and try that. Then come back and talk to me about it. Parenting the same way. 
If you're trying to raise a wild pack of animals in your home and you're struggling with it, guess what? Other people have been there, and they've tried to honor God with rearing their children. And they're like, you know what? I just want to pull my hair out, and I want to lock them in a closet. And you know what? That's an honest response sometimes. It is. And I know that sounds terrible, but sometimes you're just like, I don't know what to do. There are people in this, fam- in this faith family who have been there. They've experienced it. They've lived it. And they still have their hair, and their closets don't have locks on them. Go and talk to them. Say, how have you honored God by raising your children? Your children, they don't don't tear the paint off walls when they're in a public place. Mine do. How did you get them to that point? No, that's okay. If your kids tear paint off the wall, that's all right. Just don't bring them to our house. But either way, like, it's fine. Go to them. Say, look, I I just need help. I just need help. Tell me what it is that God's done in you that's allowed you to raise your children to fear and know the Lord. Man, you, you find a couple, like to be honest, and this is not tooting anybody's horn, but you, you find a couple and they've got some, some well-adjusted children, even if they don't have well-adjusted children, but the children are still alive and they love Jesus, there's a good chance you can learn from them. Do that. Man, and, and not just marriage, not just parenting, but, but neighboring. Like we're called to know our neighbors and actually introduce them to the hope that rests in Jesus. Man, find someone in your community group that's good at that. If you struggle with actually knowing who your neighbors are and then connecting with them relationally and sharing the gospel with him, we have families in here that do it like, man, they do it like champs. And you know what you need to do? You need to say, hey, next time you have your neighbors over, can I, can I come and, and sit too? We don't do barbecues around here because barbecue is it's a verb. It's not an event. You know, We will grill for people and we will serve them barbecue. Um, but maybe say, hey, next time you cook out, um, can I come and hang out and see what that looks like? And guess what? You're going to learn what it looks like to be people that are relationally engaging their neighbors for the hope of Jesus. And then, then, you get to go and do it. You watch, you learn, you get released. And then after that first time that you have your neighbors over and it goes to heck, come back to that family and say, man, it went real bad. And then the first thing it is, you, you get some good recipes, number one. You find out how long you should smoke brisket. That's very important um, to introducing people to Jesus. But, you know, I'm, I'm not serious, but I am. You, you find out those things. You ask. You go back. You released me to do this, and it didn't go great. What do I do? Or you go back and say, man, this went great. Maybe could you come over to my house next time when I have my neighbors over? Introduce them to somebody else. Man, from relational to, to bigger, from neighboring. Man, Josh, Josh Hoover-Dipsy, I don't know if you know it, but from the very first time that you showed up on a Thursday with Zach, did you know that he's been discipling you that entire time to actually release you to do on Thursdays what he's been doing this entire time? Man, tons of you, you don't even know that you've been discipled. I love, I love covert discipleship. I love teaching someone to do something and then releasing them to do it. And they're like, man, I didn't even know how to do this. You know how you figured it out? You've been observing. You've been watching. You've been paying attention. Same exact thing Jesus did with the disciples. He told them they were going to be fishers of men. But I guarantee from the beginning, they never thought that they were going to go and exercise demons. They were going to go heal people. But they did. Because they watched. They learned. They were granted authority on behalf of Jesus and dwelled by the very Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do these things. They watched. They learned. Man, our community group leaders, this is the exact same way that we grow community group leaders. Did you know if you're, a communi- if you're in a community group and your leader was out and they ask you after a season uh, to run that community group in their absence that week, do you know what they just did with you? They did this. They didn't even tell you, but they did this. They're preparing you for the next season when that community group multiplies and divides and it needs a leader. You've been trained through relationship, through observing, through watching, through being released to do. This is how we must function. Like in ministry, I think, man, white evangelicals have missed the boat when it comes to replicating ourselves in younger men when it comes to being pastors. No, we send them to seminary. And I'm not knocking seminary. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Learning is amazing. 
But there should be relationship intact first that says you should go and do this next. I'll get off that. And then the next thing that I think that we need to see, he told them, he said, uh, don't take anything for your journey. Don't take an extra bag of money. Don't take an extra tunic. You're going to have, everything's going to be taken care of. I think we need to be super cautious with this verse, because we, these verses, because we, we want to look for eternal truth, not just situational truth. I think very easily it would, it would translate into we go to Guatemala, and if we're bleeding, believing the eternal truth versus the situational truth here, and we're doing it wrongly, we go to Guatemala and we don't pack a bag. Okay? That wouldn't work unless God told you not to pack a bag. In this particular place, what God was teaching his disciples to do early on in their discipleship journey is he was saying, look, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to teach you in a very specific manner that I'm going to take care of everything. You just go. You just do. But there are other circumstances, like if we look at Luke chapter 22, Jesus actually adds to this, and he says, hey, you remember that time that I sent you out two by two, told you not to take a bag of money, told you not to take extra clothes? I'm about to leave, and I'm telling you to pack up everything that you've got and take it with you, because the mission's going to be long, I'm going to be gone, and you need to take it, so you're prepared. You go. This particular verse, these particular ideas are not saying, look, go into this blindly, don't count the cost. It's saying, look, be obedient, be faithful, God will take care of you. But listen to where you're going, think about what you're doing, and he's going to take care of you. He's either going to take care of you by the things that he gave you beforehand or the things that he gives you in the moment. But either way, going to take care of you. And again, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, continuing in Acts 1, he's like, look, you're going to go, you're going to make disciples in my name, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and then he gives us a promise, and I will be with you through it all. One of the ways that he takes care of us is his very presence that lives in us now with the Holy Spirit. He's like, you go, you do, I'll be with you. Everything's going to be taken care of. There will be instances where you have nothing, you go in, he provides everything. There will be other instances where you take everything and he still provided because he gave it to you beforehand. One of the most beautiful provisions that we have for any of these scenarios, any of these situations, this life in general following Jesus, is all of the things that we've learned and gleaned beforehand by listening, by following, by paying attention. The best preparation these disciples had was their life with Jesus before this moment. The money was irrelevant. The tunics irrelevant. The sandals, the staff, irrelevant. What was relevant was the fact that they had watched Jesus do these things in his power, in his name, and he said, now you go. You do them in my power, in my name. Greatest preparation we have is who we follow. Always. Always. Trust and he'll provide. He'll provide the words, he'll provide the needs, he'll provide the passion. They'll be his, not ours. Man, the third thing that we see in this passage, the thing that we need to take away, is that, and this is, this is crazy, because like I said, we could find this believable where we are now if it was Jesus, but we're looking at just these 12 untrained, unkempt, just blue-collar dudes, you know, less than blue-collar to be honest, and they went out and did these amazing things. We actually need to believe and accept that God is sending us, training us to do greater things to do bigger and greater things. Sometimes it is the mundane. Sometimes it is the menial. But other times it's the miraculous. And I truly believe that through the inhabiting of the Holy Spirit, God will make a way for the miraculous to occur through his people. These same things that occurred here, teaching, absolutely. Healing, absolutely. Exercising demons, absolutely. We don't believe it because very often we don't see it, but there's nowhere in Scripture that says these things have stopped I will prepare you, I will send you in my name, I will send you in my glory. You just go, you be obedient. John 14, 12, which I think we have that we can throw up on the screen, not 
throw up. Maybe. It's not there. Basically, John 14, 12, he's saying, look, I'm about to leave, and you need to understand, I am going to send you to do greater things than I ever did. And that's nuts. Jesus, to his disciples, he's like, look, I am sending you for you to do greater things than I have ever done because I'm about to leave, and I've been, like, I've been near you relationally, relationally, and I've been, like, within arm's reach of you, but soon, when I leave, the Spirit is going to come, dwell in you, live in you, stay in you, not leave from situation to situation, but the very presence of God is going to be here. The location of the temple is going to change from brick, mortar, and all of those things to flesh and blood, and I will live in you, and as a result, you will be able to do greater things than I did. And you'll be able to do it in mass. You'll be able to do it in the family. You'll be able to do it on mission. God's preparing us to do bigger and greater things. But we'll never do them if, A, we don't believe, and B, we're not obedient. He just says, go and believe that I got you. And man, that's so crazy because we, we're good with the natural, but when it comes to the supernatural, we're like, uh, Man, Jesus' word says, I'm preparing you. I am sending you to do more important and bigger things than I have done. Just be obedient and just believe. I'll be with you. Jesus was replicating himself, not just in, not just in thought, not just in heart, but also in action and in deed. And he's trying to do that with us. He's trying to do that with all of us who are calling on him as Lord and as Savior, the Spirit of God living in us as a seal and as an indweller bigger, greater things. So I think we be obedient, we have faith, and, and we learn this little, little thing, and Josh, you hit on it. We have to figure out how to rely on him and not on ourselves. I think that's the linchpin to it all. We learn to rely on him and not ourselves. We don't even trust in the talents that we were born with. We don't trust in the things that necessarily we know. We trust in, in God and his authority. I love in the very beginning of this, right after sending them out two by two, and it says, and gave them authority. It was his to give, to place on them, not ours to create or ours to claim. Like, man, if we want to believe this, if we want to live in this, we have to trust him and not self. There are three questions I think that we, we kind of conclude with in this particular place. Um, if we're thinking about, like, you know, God, is this, is this your mission? Is this your place? Is this your timing? Am I believing you? Am I being faithful? I think the first question we ask is, whose glory am I working for? Like, whose glory am I working for? Am I working for mine? Am I trying to build my kingdom, my name, my legacy? Or is it God's? I think that's incredibly indicative of why we do what we do. Whose glory am I working for? The second thing is, whose strength am I going in? Whose strength am I going in? Am I, again, am I going in mine? Am I going in, in, in my skills, my talents, uh, my accessible gifts? Am I going in those, or am I trusting in Jesus? Is it his authority that he's granted to me, placed on me, and told me to go, or is it mine? Who's, whose glory, whose strength? And then the third is, whose mission? Like, whose mission is this? And those are, it's closely related to the other two, but like, if it's my mission, to be honest, I'm not going to go and try to make disciples of Jesus. I'm going to go and try to make disciples of me, and that's not going to go very well. That's not going to grow the kingdom. That's, going to, that's just going to grow my popularity. But instead, if it's his mission that he created beforehand and placed us in, according to Ephesians, then it will go back, and we'll go in his strength. We'll go in his glory. Man, the beauty of this is, not only do we see the disciples doing things that they should not have been able to do, but we see them doing it because of the process that he laid out before they even knew what was going on. 
He said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And he was. He was doing it just bit by bit. And one of the ways that he did it, he was like, look, listen, follow, learn, now go. Now go. I think we're good right up until go. And a lot of times we're like, mm, I'm not ready. You're ready if Jesus says you're ready. So go. I'm ready if Jesus says I'm ready. So I need to go. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, thank you for families that are attached to this family. God, thank you for what you're building. Thank you that it's not uh, about our kingdom. It's not about a flag that we get to wave with our name on it, but it is about you. It's about your glory. It's about your strength. It's about your mission. God, I pray that we would walk in those priorities. We would walk with those, those types of mindset that we would ask in the morning, God, whose glory am I working for? I want your strength to get there. And God, I want, I want to know what you want me to do. I want to live on your mission. I mean, God, through that, I pray that we truly would believe that you're going to take care of us. You're going to give us exactly what we need for when we need it. Not a name it and claim it idea, but for your glory, your good, and for your kingdom growth. And God, we would live in a true belief, God, that you desire to do great things through your church here and now to point people towards you. I pray we would believe it. Not just believe it, but live it out because we believe it. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for the promise of the Spirit uh, that we get to just revel in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we do have a